are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody, after a long weekend. Hope everybody had a great 4th of July weekend celebrating the independence of the United States of America. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Noah, you were right. I want to I take a moment and I want to tell you that you were right Nobody about something. You remember how on this show that we've had a lot of different ar- different arguments about uh, whether or not it's better to have Friday off or to have your Monday off. After having Monday off this weekend, I was like, "Dang, no made some no no one's got a point there." I do really right. like having my man- Mondays yeah. off, so I'm kind of shifting closer to, to towards that side there. So I just wanted to let you know as we open the show that sh- I feel like you were right on that one. To be fair, have you ever had a Friday off? Yes, I have. Oh, two Fridays I, I mean, are still I, better. Two Fridays? Thursday and then Friday are two Fridays. I mean, I had one off this week. Jacob's or just mad week, at me right, right now. We won't get into that. We'll I'll get into with that everything in our, you say, Noah. That's right. He will right now. He's mad at me talking about the Atlanta Hawks. He's diehard right now. And right now, Atlanta Hawks fans are in their feelings. They don't want other people talking about their team or their young core. I get it. Rep Atlanta, if you're an Atlanta Hawks fan right now, and folks should be bought in. This is probably the most bought in I've seen the Atlanta Hawks fan base in quite some time, even more so than what it was like back when they were going to the Eastern Conference Finals and getting smited by LeBron James. Or, or did they even make the Eastern Conference Finals back then? It, are, are you talking about the... Jeff Teague, yeah, Kyle yeah. Korver, and all those guys. Four, they got swept in the Conference Finals by LeBron. For some reason, hmm. I thought it was the Conference Semis both years, and it was just flopped that LeBron was a four-seed one year. LeBron was a four-seed. So that's how they met in the final uh, Conference Finals. Okay. So we'll talk about that later on, though. We'll talk about the Atlanta Hawks, what the future of the franchise looks like. Also, what are we focusing on for the NBA Finals that get started tonight? We'll give you our predictions as well. But we're going to start off the Tuesday edition of On the Line with Devin Barrett entering the transfer portal last week. Lance, we didn't get to talk about this a whole lot, obviously, because you weren't on the show with us on Friday. I hope you enjoyed the Atlanta Braves game. But now let's bring it back into reality. Devin Barrett is no more at Auburn University. Yeah, the Braves game was definitely a lot of fun. The fireworks show was absolutely beautiful and exciting. What's not exciting is uh, having having a guy that's been on your roster for so long that was, I believe he was like top 15 in terms of like running backs in, in high school Dude, he in was his top class. 10. Let's he look. was top Hang on, 100 player on Rivals. Yeah, so he was the 11th running back in the country. He was he was a 28th best prospect in Florida. He was a four-star coming out of high school. And that's 24-7 sports. And that's 24-7 sports. Rivals Just, had like top 100, top 85, and he was a top 10 running back. It's not exciting when you see like you see a guy like this leave your program and Devitt Barrett. And it's just what could have been. That, and that's exactly right. It's that, almost like too little, too late to repair, right? Right. And my question with Barrett will, will forever be what if because I'm somewhat under the impression that Malzahn didn't necessarily ruin his career 
but he, he never get a he, he never got a shot. I think for a lot of these guys that are buried on depth charts that are entering the transfer portal as upperclassmen right now, we're going to look back if we see some more within the next few year, few months. It, we'll look back at them. We'll look back at guys like Barrett and say if they had the opportunity that some of these guys do now, they would have left their freshman season. I believe Barrett would have left left his freshman or sophomore season and entered the portal had he had the opportunity that some of these guys do now. I'm I'm upset because he was obviously a really talented guy coming out of high school. I mean, he, he had on paper the stuff to work out at an SEC program. He was definitely an athlete. It's a shame that... Showed Malzahn, potential his freshman year. Yeah, it's a shame that Malzahn did what Malzahn does is whenever he doesn't necessarily like a guy at a certain position, he'll switch him over to defense and you'll never hear from him again. But I, I really am disappointed. Hey, Noah Igbenogany balled out. Yeah, he he did. He did, that's Worked true. Worked out for Noah Igbenogany. Now, for other players, no. Obviously, Barrett was either unsatisfied with the with the coaching staff, or he was not. He was he was being outplayed in camp. Because why else would you leave unless you weren't getting playing time, or you were upset with either the players around you or the coaching staff? So, I, I'm I'm really disappointed. But I think that with the negative, there's always a positive with it when it comes to players leaving your program. So I believe that there's somebody else on roster that Auburn has that is playing just as good as him that probably factored into Dar- in Devin Barrett's decision to leave. And I think that guy is Jarquez Hunter. Well, it really stinks here, and I look back at Gus Malzahn's management of the situation. I think you said that perfectly, where Gus Malzahn did what Gus Malzahn did, and if he didn't agree with how a player fit at a certain position under his scheme, then he moved you out. He didn't fit his offense to his players. He didn't try and make those subtle adjustments that maybe could have made those players better and maximize his offense's strengths or his players' strengths. Rather, he was stubborn, and I think that's really kind of what happened here with Devin Barrett over the trajectory of his career because once you leave that running back room, you're not getting running back development anymore at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. And he left that running back room after his freshman season and spent three or four years outside of it, comes back to it, and it's a little bit a little bit late because there's two running backs at least better than you already because they've been playing the position for so long and Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers and then after that you bring Jarquez Hunter as well as a freshman who's already showing out so that's my next question for you is what does this tell us about the running back room moving forward that Devin Barrett's leaving because I think that says a little bit about Jarquez Hunter. Well, briefly, I just want to say this, and I don't want to knock on Malzahn too hard, but it's really confusing whenever you bring in some some guys, you bring in recruits, and then they don't match what you want to do, so you just completely discard them and put or put them on the other side of the football. So my question is, is why did you even recruit them in, in the first place? Because you're ruining their career, and you're filling up a scholarship on your roster that could be filled by a guy that you could have gone out and gotten that could fit your scheme better. So I, this stuff, stuff like that really confuses me with Malzahn, but I will say about this running back room, I think Auburn's got it locked down still. Still, you've got Tanks, Tank Bigsby, you've got Shivers, and then you've got Hunter, who was, I believe, just recently named Iron Man of the Week um, by Brian Harson. There was one of the guy that was that was with him, but that, that that tells me a little bit as far as like where Jarquez Hunter is and how he's doing over the summer. I'm really excited to see what we get out of him again. This guy, even though he was a late addition in the class, he he was somebody in the state of Mississippi. I believe he was Mr. Football. There are vid- videos out there of him literally dunking in boots. Like he, this guy is is a physical specimen. And I think he's somebody that Auburn's going to be very happy to have in their backfield moving forward. But that being said, I think he he will move up the depth chart come 
2022 because right now he's not getting past Shivers simply because Shivers is the captain of this team, but he will get his touches this season, I believe, especially now that Barrett's gone. He's going to be able to get those third string and fourth string carries. I think he's going to be able to get that collective load. Little compare and contrast here. How many touches do you think Tank Bigsby will get per game versus how many you think he should get? Tank Bigsby... What did he average last season? Haven't we talked about this before? I believe it was somewhere between like 15 and 18 like touches per game. When he was healthy and when he was involved in the offense, so I'm excluding the beginning of the season because his numbers get skewed a bit by the Kentucky game and the mm-hmm. Georgia game and then the fact that he was playing hurt at the end of the year. During that peak time period of Tank Bigsby, like Ole Miss, that middle of the season mark, he was averaging somewhere around 20 touches a game, a little bit more than that. He was averaging 11 touches a game. Once again, or 11, skewed, 11 carries a game. But then you have to account for receptions as well. But once right. again, that's skewed by the fact that you look at Kentucky and Georgia and then the fact that he was hurt late in the season as well. If you take the bookends out, the meat of what Tank Bigsby did when he was healthy and when he was actually involved in the offense – I was getting like 20 touches a game. I think he should I think he should get somewhere between 20 25 touches a game this season and I think he will get that. I think he'll get I think he'll get 15 to 18 carries a game. I think he'll get somewhere around there. He may get more depending on how heavily the offense relies on him and and how and how developed the passing game is especially as the season moves on, but I see him getting somewhere between 20 25 carries and maybe a couple of receptions here and there per game and I think that's what he should get and I think that's what he will get is somewhere around there. I don't think they're going to overwork this guy I definitely think they're going to be able to give Shivers the ball a little bit and then, like I said I think Jarquez Hunter is going to be able to get a touch here and there I don't necessarily think he's a Cameron Petway type as far as like where, how he's built physically but his mentality and the way that he runs I believe he's going to be similar to Petway I don't know if we see in a normal SEC game now in garbage time you will see more carries for Jarquez Hunter of course but in a normal SEC game I don't think he gets to five touches Hunter doesn't? No. On average. Period. Period. I I don't think that we see an SEC game this year where Jarquez Hunter touches the ball five times. Unless Auburn's blowing them out and a lot of those carries come in garbage time. Like a normal SEC game where Auburn wins by like 14 or less, I don't think you see Jarquez Hunter touch the ball five times in those types of football games very limited action for Jarquez Hunter this year I think the hype train is leaving the station for Jarquez Hunter a little bit too early not saying that this guy couldn't end up becoming a beast I think he will but this season I don't think is the year that you see Jarquez Hunter just like burst onto the scene because you're saying 20 to 25 touches for Tank Bigsby how many plays do you think this Auburn team's running Gus Malzahn wasn't running wasn't running 80 plays a game that that's a high octane spread offense Gus Malzahn wasn't even hitting 80 plays a game, right? Auburn, and and this is a slower offense. Auburn's probably going to be a little bit more predicated on ball control here. It's not the hurry up. So you're probably looking at 60, you're probably looking at 60 plays on offense for Auburn, maybe on average. And you're saying that Tank Bigsby's almost about to account for half of that if he hits 25. 20, he hits a third of that. And then Sean Shivers, you got to imagine, is going to get near 10. And I'm expecting more of a 50-50 play. I'm expecting Bo Nix to get near 30 pass attempts a ball game. So it, you, you kind of have to judge how many carries are left for Jarquez Hunter. And there aren't going to be that many. So that's why I say that the hype train maybe is leaving the station just a little bit too quick. You have to keep in mind, this guy's only been on campus for five minutes. He was the Iron Man of the Week, but we haven't even seen this guy carry the football yet for Auburn. And I think there's a lot of people that are super excited about it because he could dunk a basketball in cowboy boots which is fun and awesome, but 
I want to see this guy play on the field before I really let that that train leave the station. Right, and well, and, and and like I said, I don't think he's necessarily going to be doing that this season. I think 2022 is obviously whenever he's going to be able to move up the depth depth chart and get some of those secondary touches. I don't think it's going to be happening this year, but I do think he's going to be able to in in, in garbage time games and in non in non conference games. I think he's going to be able in garbage time to be able to show what he's made of. And I think Alabama State, baby, exactly. It, it, being a physical specimen, I think it's just enough to be able to get. Uh, four or five carries and be impressive against a team like Alabama State I think if you're just physically built you'll be able to go out there and not necessarily shine but you'll be able to prove that you are an SEC running back I I, I agree with you I don't think he's going to be getting a ton of carries in an SEC game this season but again 2022 I think this is a guy that people have to be looking out after because obviously Shivers leaving they need somebody else that can compliment Tank Bigsby I think Hunter style of running compliments Tank Bigsby pretty well. I think they'll go great together. And then whenever Bigsby's gone, you could be looking at Hunter taking over in 2023. So I think down the line, this is somebody that that Auburn could definitely look to. 2021, don't necessarily see it happen, but moving forward uh, in in the future, I can definitely see this guy making some noise. Over the weekend, kind of a cryptic tweet by Brian Harson tweeted Wardang with a gif of. Charles Barkley laughing on his NBA on TNT set. What do you think this could mean? Well, normally whenever uh, uh, Gus Malzahn would tweet like a boom or a war eagle, you would assume that Auburn had just gotten a commitment or something to that effect. Seems to be what people think this could be right i've got to, i've only got to assume something good has happened within the program I, I i would be shocked if my coach on twitter just occasionally took to the site to just hit, hit us with a war eagle I, I would find that a little bit weird without any substance behind it just like hey by the way war eagle yeah okay War Eagle. But I assume that there's a little bit of a deeper meaning behind this. I I think I, either Auburn's going after a guy in the transfer portal that they feel pretty confident about, or they're about to pick up a commitment from somebody like Michael Riley Ducker, who announces tomorrow at 7.30, or Ooh. 6.30 rather, so that could be something to definitely See, look out for. I thought this for. was in relation to Demetrius Robertson. It very well could be. I think that's more likely. Yeah, because I believe Michael, Michael Riley Ducker is still an Iowa, uh, Iowa lean right Which now. Which player would you rather have? You can only have one. Robertson or Micah Riley Ducker. Oh, that's tough. That's tough. I, cause I, one player is one year. One player is hopefully four years. I would go with Riley Ducker. I would go with Riley Ducker. I'm really excited. As far as Auburn's pass catchers on roster right now, I'm confident in a couple of those guys. I'm confident to see a guy like Tyler Fromm step up and maybe make some plays in the passing offense. I don't know who it's going to be specifically. Ferguson think it, thinks it could potentially be Schenker. I'm not completely sold on that. I think this tight end room is going to ball out. But to have somebody else come in, as that that we've we've talked about this before on the show harson shaping the roster into what he wants it to be and bringing in a new age a a, a new type of football player to auburn the guys that he wants there i think he's definitely going to be able to gel well again i think auburn's got the talent on roster right now but i think michael riley ducker could be just another weapon that auburn could add to this offense and then down the line when some of these guys graduate we could see him uh, as one of the best tight ends in the country, potentially. I mean, this guy's a stud. Like, physically, he is a stud. My answer to the question would be Demetrius Robertson, but I want to touch on what you said about tight ends first. There's no shortage of talent. There's no shortage of illustrious high school resumes from these pass-catching tight ends that are on Auburn's roster right now. They've got good pedigrees, like Landon King and all those guys, but I don't think any of them really looked that great in the 8 day game. Mm-hmm. From a route-running perspective, Nothing was too sharp. You can see some misplaced balls. I'm not putting that on the quarterback necessarily on all those situations. I think some of those were they were not 
running sharp enough routes and I think that was evidenced by some of the post-game comments and some of the comments about what was going on throughout spring about the receivers and the tight ends in terms of their pass catching ability and what they were contributing to the pass game I think the talent's there and I can't disagree with that what those guys did in high school in terms of pass catching tight ends is definitely speaking for itself there my two remarks to that is a it was high school and b what did being with Gus Malzahn for even at least a season due to altering these guys trajectory and development as pass catching tight ends mm-hmm. we saw with Devin Barrett one year was enough to ruin a guy at, at a position right it's like that could have happened at tight end already just from a year of being taught one scheme versus another so I definitely would like to see Auburn get Michael Riley Ducker I think it does usher in a new age at tight end where it's definitely a guy that Brian Harson wants at that position but I would say more valuable would be Demetrius Robertson because Auburn right now extremely slow on the recruiting trail and yes getting a guy like Michael Riley Ducker could generate some momentum for you but I think what could ultimately and what will ultimately generate more momentum for Auburn is winning ball games right because this coaching staff definitely appears to be about business and that personality only works if you're winning ball games if you're out here like we're hard-nosed we're all about winning football games we're all about football all the time but then you're the equivalent of mississippi state and you're going eight and five every year or either you're the equivalent of kentucky and you're going eight and five every year that doesn't work anymore nick saban can have that type of recruiting pitch because he backs it up with the results on the field auburn at the moment losing four or five games every year and there's major questions from a national perspective or on the recruiting shelf from 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 that perspective there's a perception out there that Auburn was not very good at developing talent under Gus Malzahn and that the results were going to show that and I think that's why ultimately his recruiting decayed to the point that it did you go back and you look at Malzahn's recruiting rankings when he first stepped on to the Plains they were top 12 top 10 recruiting classes right there on the cusp of that if they weren't top 10 they were 11 or 12 right there he was having really solid recruiting classes but ultimately it decayed because people lost faith in Malzahn's vision for the program and ultimately you see him let go and now Brian Harson's coming in he's installing a new vision and if he doesn't come out I think he has to win I don't think six and six or seven and five is enough this year to convince folks that this thing's going to work at Auburn and I don't think it's enough for for it to convince folks on the recruiting trail when he's talking to recruits to convince them that it's going to be different if he is selling a different vision than what Malzahn was selling which from all indications with the way that people talk about this program he is if he's going to sell that to folks he's going to have to back it up this season and win right away and by win right away I mean I'm looking at like nine wins because eight and four still same old same old Auburn according to folks out of side of the Auburn sphere right they say well Auburn loses four games every year which go look at Malzahn's records it happens right and I'm not dogging Auburn right now I'm just saying if you're going to take this thing to the next level on the recruiting trail you got to do something more than that and I think it does have to happen this year I think he's got to back it up with wins join the conversation who would you rather have former five-star wide receiver Demetrius Robertson transferring from Georgia or six foot six tight end Micah Riley Ducker join the conversation 334-321-1390 is the number to call or text us text us at 334-564-1840 again that number that text line number is on our twitter bio at espn1067 on twitter you can follow us there but if you want to join in on the conversation and answer the question who would you rather have stud wide receiver Demetrius Robertson or Michael Riley Ducker we'd love to hear from you let's take a quick break when we come back we talk Atlanta Hawks and Jacob will tell you why he's mad at me 
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text box, 334-564-1840. Text us on the show, 334-564-1840. Find Lance and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Dahl Pound. Coming up at 2.30, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. We'll talk to him about the Devin Barrett situation and what this means for Auburn's Running back room, we got a lot of questions for Justin Ferguson, so stay tuned for that. Once again, coming up at 2.30. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Teased coming into the segment that Jacob would tell everybody why he's mad at me Jacob Hillman running the board for us today and big time Atlanta sports fan with the exception of the Atlanta Hawks he loves the or excuse me with the exception of Atlanta Falcons different bird my bad (laughs) different bird of prey Atlanta Hawks and then he is a big Atlanta Braves guy maybe more so but you were definitely you were definitely battling that during this Hawks playoff run because it seemed like when the Braves lost, the Hawks won, and vice versa. Ever since Game Five or Game Game Four or Five against the Sixers, that's what happened. Every time the Braves won, the Hawks lost, vice versa, and that's how it ended. The Braves won the night the Hawks were eliminated. So I'm sure a lot of folks have been keeping up with what the Atlanta Hawks were doing throughout the NBA postseason. Make it on a on a great run, an outstanding run, well ahead of the schedule over the Atlanta Hawks right now to the Eastern Conference Finals, bow out in six games to a Giannis Antetokounmpo-less Milwaukee Bucks. Say that five times fast. And now the Hawks are looking towards the future. And what does this future look like for the franchise now that they have took the interim tag off of Nate McMillan? They are moving forward. But what does Ford look like for the franchise? Jacob? What is a question that you have for the Atlanta Hawks moving forward? Well, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, the reason that there's some angst towards you is, I mean, you're trying to blow up what's I'm not trying working. to blow it up. I'm, I'm just saying let John what, Collins walk. Sounds like. Don't don't pay the guy and the you're max. You're dogging on this and Kevin Herter. Yeah, I just don't think the guy's going to turn into Clay Thompson like you think he will. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. That's putting words in my mouth. But point being, the Hawks are in a good position. They're young. And they've got a few experienced veterans that, I mean, Gallinari, Bogdanovich, I could see those are the kind of guys that I would look towards moving on from a little bit more than Collins and Herter, which I know you're not saying to move on from Herter, but I think you can easily move Herter to a six man role. Stuff that we saw sure. from stuff that we saw from Evan Fournier at times with the Orlando Magic. Now, of course, he's in a much more substantial role but stuff that we saw from Evan Fournier early on in his career and it worked for him so I'm kind of there with you as far as like potentially getting one of one or two of these guys to go ahead and head out and bring in somebody because I think they need another superstar supporter I think they need somebody that can compliment Trey Young and it needs to be a guard or a small forward now DeAndre Hunter can still turn into that at small forward. So yes. that led me to shooting guard, which is Kevin Herter's spot, yeah. who I think we can all agree will probably not turn into a superstar. Right. I think you I think you should definitely take a look at that shooting guard spot, getting somebody to come in. You could potentially make a trade for Damian Lillard. I'm just saying that could potentially happen in the future. That would be awesome uh, to have those two in a backcourt together. I don't know together. if you go all in on that. <laughs> yeah, because be, then you sell lose, the whole team. 
then you lose the 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 peak for the trailblazers is a three seed every year now granted that was in the western conference and in the east that may get you to a finals but i'm trying to figure out how to get the hawks i'm putting a gm hat on right now you know 2k franchise mode here what would i do that's a nice hat how to get thanks man what, what does it look like cowboy hat it is a cowboy hat okay. yes I'm, I'm putting my atlanta hawks gm franchise hat on i'm like how do i get these guys to an nba finals down the line because at the end of the day are you in it to win it or are you just in it to make a good bottom line and win some ball games and you know be a three or four seed in the eastern conference every year which if that's your identity and that's where you want to be at and at the end of the day and that makes your bottom line look good and sports economics that's a real thing some franchises out there i'm not convinced think that it's good for their bottom line to win an nba finals because at some point the amount of fans the amount of attention the amount of money that comes through the door taps out at a certain amount of money that's on their payroll that's a real thing learned that in college took a class on it's a real thing and i don't know if the atlanta hawks are in that category because i do think that they're out to win i think when you look at the way that they rebuild they rebuild very similar to how the oklahoma city thunder do it it's in a small market way, even though Atlanta's one of the biggest cities in the United States. It's in a small market way because they've never had really a whole lot of luck in free agency in any sport. The Atlanta Braves don't, the Atlanta Falcons don't, and the Atlanta Hawks don't. For some reason, it's just not an attractive location out there. So maybe what I'm suggesting doesn't work, and maybe it is worth paying John Collins the max, which seems to be the major offseason decision here. But for me, I look at John Collins' numbers, and he's 17-7, and seven, and I don't know how much better he's ever going to be than that and I think you could improve a little bit, but the bet here is, and this is a bet that you have to that you have to make at the moment, is John Collins worth a max deal? Because if you're wrong, and four years from now, you know, because you're you're locked into half a decade of John Collins on that, if he ends up not panning out over the next two three years, you get into those last couple of years, and you're trying to recoup your your losses here, and you're trying to keep the Hawks afloat. You can't move that deal because people don't want to pay for that, and you really can't find enough trade real estate to support more than $30 million a year when someone's that bad, right? And so you're, you have to make that bet right now. Is it worth the max? And if it's not, you let John Collins walk and you find someone that will average 14 and seven rather than 17 and seven. You pay him $15 million less and you find a way to improve another position on your roster through free agency that keeps you at, at about the same caliber that you're at right now and try and rebuild from there I'm, I'm pretty sure ben simmons is going for like a, a, a dime right now so if y'all y'all want to pick him up for just a couple of cents i think you'd be able to swing that <laughs> probably but the thing he about might fit with the hawks a lot he, of pick and roll i heard he i heard he's going to the shanghai sharks i saw that on twitter <laughs> somewhere they've already signed a deal i mean jacob we only have like 30 seconds left but do you agree with what i'm saying there at least about john collins that is the bet you have to make yes and i think it's a bet worth making because he seems like a glue guy and i think that's an important thing to have but is on a glue franchise guy worth the max deal if he's playing as well as he is right now and he improves a little bit yes absolutely because he he's very much a leader he's a vocal leader we saw that letter he wrote of, uh i think game four or five whatever it was coming back home i don't know i just think he's a good leader and i think he's a glue guy that can keep the team together let's take a quick break here we got justin ferguson of the auburn observer when we come back we'll talk atlanta hawks later on in the show stay tuned Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Talking a little Auburn football here while we work on getting Justin Ferguson on the phone with us. Devin Barrett entering the transfer portal last week. 
Talked a little bit earlier about what does this tell us about the running back room. Lance, going back to that Jarquez Hunter situation, what do we think about this Auburn running back room? Can the amount of running backs that are on the roster right now, whether it be Tate Bigsby, Sean Shivers, Jarquez Hunter, and then Jordan Ingram, is four enough, four scholarship running backs enough to get you through this season? Because I know folks are a little a little worried about that. Well, obviously, whenever you look at a guy like Tank's big, Tank Bigsby and you see what he did last season, you if you watched him all the way through last season, injuries are definitely a concern with a guy like him. I'm not so sure about Shivers. I mean, I know that he's only five foot seven, but he's been pretty stout. He's not been injury prone throughout his time at Auburn. But if, if Bigsby goes down with another hip injury or something crazy like that I would definitely be concerned moving forward with this Auburn running back room I don't think that there's a ton of depth at that position meaning I don't think Sean Shivers could carry the load as as RB number one I, I would be really scared to see what would happen if Tank Bixby was not able to go all the way throughout the season that being said I am really high on Jarquez Hunter I really think that he's going to be able to stand out here in just a couple of seasons how raw and how underdeveloped he is I think is yet to be seen but at the same time like you mentioned earlier he's not had a carry yet so we don't know how to project this guy moving forward I'm I'm optimistic but there's not a lot on paper that gives me a reason to be excited because again he's not taking a snap in the SEC I think this running back room wouldn't necessarily not survive but I think they would definitely have issues if Tank went down I think four is enough I think four is enough for any SEC team if you've got your leading rusher and you've got a a nice compliment back uh, like Sean Shivers I think that definitely could work out uh, I, I think that, that that it definitely works out for any SEC team, but I'm just concerned given Tank's one year that we've seen from him that he could potentially go down with an injury and this running back room could just crumble. Let's head to the phone lines now. We got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are y'all? We're doing great. We're we're in the midst of a discussion here about Auburn's running back room now, which is Devin Barrett-less here in the transfer portal mm-hmm. late last week. And we were wondering, do you think that four running backs, four scholarship running backs, that is, is that enough to carry Auburn through this season? Because I know that folks out there are a little concerned about that. Yeah, I think I think four is a number that you can survive with. It's just like who the four are. Um, if you look back, you know, at Auburn under Gus Malzahn, uh, you know, they had a pretty significant stretch where at least one of their top two running backs has missed time with injury you got to go all the way back to really the 2013 season the last time that really didn't happen so just the the way that um you know the the way that sec football is and the way the running back position is you're, you're kind of going to go through a meat grinder um so i mean four you can survive with it but i think it's going to be the four you know who you have and it, what, what that relies on if you're auburn this season is going to be you're going to need one of either Jarquez Hunter or Jordan Ingram to step up and be a guy that you can rely on. The good thing, Darrow, is, is that as we've seen plenty of times in the last decade plus, I mean, you can go all the way back uh, to the early days, uh, um, you know, when, when freshmen were allowed to start playing college football, Bo Jackson being one of them, um, you know, running back is one of those few positions in football where if you are young, you can kind of plug in and play right away. It's just the nature of the position. So, uh, it's going to have to rely on a guy like Hunter or a guy like Ingram stepping up and being a guy that they can rely on in SEC play. And we won't know what that looks like until we get into the season. But uh, yeah, I mean, if um, you know, if if you are if you're healthy enough, you can make it work. Moving out of the running back room here, Brian Harson over the weekend tweeted a Gus Malzahn esque War Eagle. 
what could this mean? Do you, do you think this is pointed to a, a high school senior or could this point towards the transfer portal? Do you have any indication on this? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, it, it could have been anything at that point. Um, I know they have a couple of uh, guys who are going to commit here this week uh, that are targets. Uh, Michael Riley Grucker being the big one tied in tomorrow. There's a couple others down the line. Um, so, I mean, it could have something to do with that. It could have had nothing to do with anything. Um, but, you know, uh, nothing, nothing, you know, immediately sprang up uh, after that. So, I mean, but with, with several guys coming, committing here over the next uh, over the next few days and, and, and guys that they're targeting, uh, you know, it could have been a sign for one of them getting some good news early before the before a decision. There's a lot that's been made of Auburn football recruiting at the moment, especially considering on 24-7 sports team rankings right now. Auburn's sitting at 14th and outside the top 60. Of course, it is early, but we've – been talking about Auburn football's recruiting in terms of a traffic light green it's going well yellow proceed with caution and red panic I've been saying yellow there's a couple of callers out there who I think would say red where do you sit right now green yellow or red for Auburn football recruiting yeah I think you gotta definitely be a yellow I don't know if there's ever going to be a red at this point in this year unless the numbers are like crazy low um, because I think this class is just uh, on the whole going to be just a smaller one. It's not going to be a star studded one. You got to think. I mean, so much of recruiting, it's a multi year process. And not only did this Auburn staff get a late start on in person recruiting, you know, it's developing the relationships with some of these guys that, you know, they're having to kind of start from scratch. And other schools, uh, other good schools are, are coming after these guys, these guys who are kind of well known blue chip prospects right now. Um, you know they've they've had that relationship for a while, so I think that's why you see Auburn really committing to the 2023 class a lot. I don't think it's going to be a gigantic class, but they they need some momentum going. They just need some need some good news starting to come in to be this far behind, considering some other you know first year coaches in the SEC have had quick recruiting success. Now they're not racking up you know blue chips, but you know they're still in a good spot right now in terms of numbers. Yeah, Auburn fans just want to be a part of that. They want to see. They want to see some of that, and then I, I completely get that. So you know, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, be patient. Um, I think there might be some good news coming for Auburn here, maybe in the next week or so, just because they might start getting a few more commitments uh, because of the number of targets that are on the board that are they're going to be making their decisions. But yeah, I think I think you're not going to really know the true recruiting uh strength of this staff um what kind of power they've got or, or you know may not have in, the, in in recruiting until really we get to 2023 and they get a full cycle yeah and in terms of of talent that Auburn has already gotten to commit you know you look at a guy like Holden Jariner who recently was uh competing at the Elite 11 camp and uh he he, he showed out from what I read uh what are your thoughts on Jariner's uh performance at Elite 11 and how do you see him performing in, in, compared to some of these other guys on roster being TJ Finley and Demetrius Davis once he steps on campus next season yeah, I mean, Garner's an interesting case because he goes to Elite 11. He's not one of the final 11. He doesn't win any of the, you know, isn't a standout in any of the, the big drills. But, you know, everybody who watched him just said, hey, he was just solid. Uh, and it just showed off that he's a, he's a pretty good quarterback. Um, and so, you know, there's, even though he didn't get the coveted, you know, one of the top 11 spots, you know, I think you still go out there and you, and you do good work and people are going to recognize it. And he's been a guy who's, quickly climbed up uh the the recruiting rankings over the last you know few months so i think going out there and and and, and you know kind of 
measuring yourself up to the best of the best in the country is a really good sign for him. Um, you know, and, and looking forward with him, I mean, he, I think he might be a guy that, you know, isn't like starter material right away in the SEC. I'm interested to see what he does in his, his senior season after putting up some great numbers last year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy that you definitely see uh, fits what, you know, uh, Auburn is trying to do in this offense with uh, Brian Harson and Mike Boa. He is a you know classic uh, pocket-passing quarterback, really pro-style guy. Um, he's got some mobility to him, but he loves to kind of just sit in the pocket and, and do his damage there. Um, really good decision-maker, good touch. Um, he's got a really nice deep ball uh, if you watch him on film. Um, so I think he's, he would be a really good player down the line for Auburn for sure, and I think he could come in and just push some guys early on in his career um, because he's got the makeup and I think kind of the familiarity with the type of offense that Auburn's going to be trying to run. On a basketball note, Jaden Shackelford staying to the transfer portal while taking his name out of the 2021 NBA draft. Why do you think Shaq is leaving Alabama, and do you think Auburn will make a move? Yeah, I don't think Auburn will necessarily make a move for him. Um, I think they're pretty set right now with with their roster. They could pick up another guy, and I, I'd be interested to see like who he's looking after or who he's looking looking to go get. I mean, but he's going to want playing time, I and mean, that's that's kind of the big thing there. And I, I find it very interesting that you know feel, felt like he would have been one of the top guys for Bama next season, but I think you know it's just they've got a lot. Uh, coming in uh, with guys like J.D. Davidson, the Mark Burnett, and th- those types. Um, so, I mean, I think it might have just been a situation where you know, kind of like uh, kind of like maybe like a Justin Powell situation for Auburn be like, all right, well, you know, maybe it's just not not working out here and this is not where I need to be long term. Um, so I- I'll be very interested to see where he ends up. Um, you know, I-, I think Auburn – they might be done with this. I mean, they they've got they've got eleven. You know, you can you get twelve and thirteen, but you rarely, if ever, play twelve or thirteen guys in your rotation. So, I mean, if you bring in another guy, that that's taking away minutes from somebody. And at this point, you kind of look at all eleven scholarship players off got this season. You think, okay, all of those guys are probably going to be playing a role. So, uh, I'll be curious to see if they push after a guy like him. Um, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they just held held Pat with, with what they've got because I think they're very confident in, in in the guys they've got on campus right now. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content and subscribe. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Check it out there. $6 a month or $60 a year. You get analysis of Auburn football and Auburn basketball sent to your email uh, inbox most days. Um, story on some of the things we talked about here with the running backs. Uh, wrote a story on Auburn basketball's three-point shooting down the road and what we can see from them, um, You know why it could be kind of a bounce-back season for Auburn in that regard. And we'll have a couple podcasts as well. So AuburnObserver.com, sign up there. And like I said, everything gets sent straight to your inbox uh, whenever we put it up. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. Yeah, I'll be good. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here on the line with us. We're going to take a quick break right here. When we come back, we'll give you our predictions for the NBA Finals. You're listening to On the Line. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Before we wrap up hour number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. 
Hey, everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Happy Friday. It's crucial moments on new episodes of Gold Rush at 7 and Bering Sea Gold at 8 on Discovery. Some movie selections for tonight. The Shawshank Redemption is on Bravo at 6.30. The Matrix is on AMC at 5 and following it at 8. It's The Matrix Reloaded. The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Part 2 is on all evening from 5 to 10 on Freeform. A shape-shifting alien endangers Earth. Men in Black International is on FX at 7. Two movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, both on at 7 as well. Black Panther on TBS and Avengers Age of Ultron is on USA. In live sports, the Tampa Bay Lightning take a 2-0 lead into Game 3 against the Montreal Canadiens. Catch tonight's action at 7 on NBC. WWE with Friday Night Smackdown at 7 on Fox. In the soccer world, Copa America continues with Brazil and Chile clashing in the quarterfinals. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. NBA Finals get started tonight, 8 o'clock ABC as the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks, the two teams that everyone expected to be playing in the NBA Finals. It's like we fast-forwarded a couple of seasons on a video game, enough for things to get crazy. And the Phoenix Suns taking on the Milwaukee Bucks tonight in Game 1. Gentlemen, it's time for predictions for the NBA Finals. I broke down some of these matchups here. I think this would be the projected depth charts for tonight. I'm not going to go too deep. I'm just going to say starting lineups. I shouldn't say depth charts. I should just say starting lineups here for the Suns. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll do it by position. So I'll say at point guard, it'll be CP3 against Drew Holiday. At shooting guard, it'll be Devin Booker against Chris Middleton. At small forward, Michael Bridges against P.J. Tucker. Power forward, Jay Crowder against Bobby Portis. And at the center position, DeAndre Ayton and Brooke Lopez. Looking at these matchups, who do you think has the overall edge based off of what's in front of us there in these projected starting lineups? Because right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo listed as questionable. I don't think he plays tonight, but he did get upgraded a couple hours ago from doubtful. So I think he plays sooner in this series than maybe people thought. But how 100% will he be? I'm not going to say that Giannis is going to be a non-factor. But at this point, I think if Giannis plays in the first couple of games, he may be more of a hindrance than a help for the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I think right now, looking at the the starting lineups, I think it slightly favors Phoenix. Just because when you look at those guard, that guard spot, I'd take CP3 over Drew Holiday, and I'd probably take Devin Booker over Chris Middleton, even though Chris Middleton has been incredibly clutch throughout the playoffs for the Bucks. Uh, I, I really like what Phoenix has on roster. It's just my question is, can Phoenix be in sync for potentially seven games straight. I've seen them pull in and out of stretches against Los Angeles. I, I watched a lot of them uh, during the playoffs this, uh, during these playoffs, and they will they will get really, really, really hot, and they will be unstoppable. I mean, everything they do offensively is just going in the bucket, and they, they cannot be stopped, and Devin Booker is having himself a game, and then all of a sudden there will be stretches where it's just like, how like you're you're still running the correct plays it's just you aren't making shots and you're not playing uh, cohesive defense it's just like so can can Phoenix stay consistent for for potentially seven straight games I think they can if Giannis is not playing for the first game or even potentially for the first two games I think the edge right now favors Phoenix and even if Giannis is coming in I I think right now I think if Phoenix can steal the first game or two they'll they'll win in seven it's tough because of the whole Giannis situation. Because even if he does play the entire series, like we're saying, we don't think he'll be 100% at all during the whole series. Even if he does sit out two more games, just because of that, the, the, that injury, how it works, 
And I, I really think that the Suns are just kind of destined at this point to win. The Bucks, they've always been there. They've been close, and they just never gotten to this point. And now I, I just really like what CP3's done in his re- return since he was out due to COVID protocols. So I think that CP3, even if Booker, because Booker is kind of weird. In, in the series against the Clippers, he had that 15-point game and then 20- and 22-point games, which wasn't how he had been playing. He had been playing out of his mind before that. So I don't know. Even if Booker isn't playing out of his mind like he was late in the series against the Nuggets and early against the Clippers, I think that CB3 can carry them to a seven-game seven series win. When I look at these two rosters right now, when I look at these two starting lineups, I give the undeniable edge right now, as long as Giannis Antetokounmpo is not anywhere near 100%, which it doesn't seem like he is right now, as long as Giannis Antetokounmpo is in the situation that he is in, I give the edge defensively to the Phoenix Suns, and it's not even close. People sleep on Jay Crowder's ability defensively. There was a a stretch about four years ago, and of course that was four years ago, where I think he was one of the better defenders wherever he was in the NBA, whether it was his time with the Celtics or wherever he was at in the NBA. This guy, statistically, in terms of defensive field goal percentage at times, was right up there with LeBron James in terms of his defensive field goal percentage as well. Statistically, that's where Jay Crowder was sitting at. Now, has he regressed a little bit as he's gotten older? Yes, Michael Bridges, also a competent defender, as well as DeAndre Ayton. The guy's huge. He can defend the rim, right? So you look at three through five here, the front court can defend. And I I think when you look at players like Michael Bridges and Jay Crowder, they can defend one through four. Jay Crowder's definitely athletic enough to handle, maybe not Drew Holiday, but when you look at the starting lineup for the Bucs, Chris Middleton is not fleet of foot, right, off the bounce. He's more of a spot-up shooter and of course he has been able to drive but you can at least still stay with him and contest bj tucker same boat not known for his ability to drive to the rim and then bobby portis is a little bit more of a true power forward or a traditional power forward you look at that group of three defenders right there they're made to defend three through or excuse me two through four of the milwaukee bucks lineup i think that the matchups definitely favor the phoenix suns here a little bit more from a defensive standpoint and then we all know about what they've got offensively i'm having a hard time picking anywhere other than the Suns here I think the Suns honestly if they get out 2-0 here if they do the damage that they did to the Clippers I don't know if I see the Bucks rebound like the Clippers did to even get to six I think you could see this go pretty quickly guys I just looked over at Noah's computer and all he has pulled up is the image of that Suns fan holding up four fingers <laughs> and that uh, that's it's that's true. that's his entire notes page on it's Google Jay Docs it, it's, Jay it's Jay Crowder it's just Jay Crowder <laughs> but yeah I, I I want the Suns to win really badly I'm pulling for them I'm bandwagoning I don't really like the Bucks I don't like Giannis I don't like his free throw routine I don't like what they got going on give me wow. Suns I think they'll win in seven um that's me being optimistic but cautiously but I do think the Suns win the final I'll say also the Suns home court advantage seems to be a big difference. And, it's hype. And I mean, you heard how loud the Nets were and the Hawks fans were. I'm ready to hear how loud the Suns count Giannis's free throw routine. Just don't take 13 seconds to shoot a free throw, bro. It's like <laughs> I've seen videos of you in practice taking two dribbles and knocking one down. Why do you have to? Are you? I think at this point he's honestly just doing it to agitate people. And you know what? I'm agitated because I've seen this man knock down several free throws consecutively, just taking a couple of dribbles, breathing, and then shooting. Like do the thing that Clay Thompson does. It's like immediately as soon as his fingers touch the ball, just throw it up there. Like we don't. We ain't got time to sit here and watch you. 
do this. There is one element defensively that I think that you can give the Bucks an advantage in over the Suns, and it's height. There is, despite even with Giannis not out there, there is still height on the Bucks side. But I'm going to go Suns, and I'm going to go in six because I do think that there is going to be maybe due to that height difference, maybe a game or two where you see the Suns drop the ball offensively. And if they drop the ball offensively, I don't think that they'll win those games. So I'll say Suns in six. Everybody, so we got a clean sweep of the room. We got we got three yeah. three people saying Suns win the finals. Yep. It gets started tonight at eight on ABC. We'll be back for hour number two of On the Line coming up at three o'clock. are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board for us today. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Find us on Twitter at PointGardner at DawPound. Now, Lance, we did get a text in the first hour, and we need to take a look at it. Yeah, I briefly wanted to just touch on this for a moment. We got a text from Spectre. You were obviously talking with Justin Ferguson about uh, the traffic light that we have in regards to Auburn recruiting. Green being everything's going great, yellow being cautious, and red being panic mode. And Spectre texted and said recruiting, blinking red light. He, he is officially hitting panic mode, uh, and I, I'm not quite there yet. I do want to see Auburn pick up that first guy, and I think they will. I think it might be Michael Riley Ducker or, or somebody else here within the next month or so. I think Auburn's going to get a recruit within the next 30 days. Uh, I won't hit panic mode until we're midway through the season looking up and Auburn's still bottom. If they are if they are 10th or worse midway through the, the, the season in, in October or November, I will be blinking red light. That is when I will hit panic mode. I want to ask everybody this. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line, 334-564-1840. When was the last time that you can remember Albert football recruiting being this bad? Mm. I do, not my not my lifetime not to, like and I've I've not I've not been following Auburn football recruiting since I would say about twenty ten ish. Even last year during the pandemic, at this time, there were more commitments. Right. This is pretty bad. This is this is, it's not going great. It's not going great. I don't great. remember it. Of course, Tommy Tuberville was not known for his recruiting. He was more known for his player development. And honestly, what maybe got him in trouble with folks out there was his recruiting. And maybe that was what was in, what ended up being the end of Tommy Tuberville as Auburn's head football coach and why his tenure at Auburn really kind of decayed towards the end there in terms of the talent that was on the roster. But since 2010, this is the worst recruiting start that I can think of for Auburn. Yeah, it's not been good. It's not been good. And sitting at dead last in the conference is not going to do you any favors in terms of keeping the fan base happy. They've got to be able to get it and go out and get a couple of guys. And I really hope that, that Mike O'Reilly Ducker actually commits tomorrow. I'd love to see him him uh, come to the squad. Love to see that first guy walk through the door and me go, okay, everything's all right. Now, here's the next question that I want to ask about this. 
how much responsibility do you place on this new coaching staff at this moment? Because we gave 0% culpability on that class that committed back in February. If anything, we gave a kudos and a round of applause for Brian Harson for salvaging it and placing it inside the top 25, top 20 with the Dylan Brooks commitment that was more late in the game heading into summer, right? So you definitely give them a round of applause for that. But how much culpability do you place on them for this moment? Because I definitely think there are still vestiges of issues that were generated by Gus Malzahn. I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think again got to wait till about mid-season for me to really gauge where this coaching staff's going to be at recruiting wise I think after this year's class I agree with Justin I don't think this is necessarily going to be a star-studded class or even a a lot of commitments for Auburn obviously we see that they've only got three and and that's way behind everybody else in the SEC right now so I don't think you can necessarily hold them completely accountable for for this year's class but you got to be able to hold them accountable somewhat because they are they are now getting a full offseason to do what they want with this program get the these guys coming in and get them on campus and actually pick up some names out there I think at the end of this recruiting cycle you have to be able to hold them accountable somewhat but just know it's recruiting at a prestigious level is not going to happen overnight that being said they've got to be in the top 25 this season and for me to be happy they should watch realistically they should be in the top 20 because that's where Auburn has recruited that's where they recruited under Malzahn man Auburn recruited under Malzahn top 15 at least right Auburn really sniffed the top 10 most years if not got into the top 10 it's amazing to me and I'm not discrediting what you're saying I'm with you Auburn's got to hit top 20 for me to be satisfied as well it's amazing to me that Auburn football recruiting has decayed to this point to where Auburn folks are saying Man, I'm not going to be happy unless we finish eighth in the SEC. Because that's what that is. That's, is that not a travesty? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a sad way to look at it, and I don't. And that's the thing is like I don't want to get my expectations up too high. I don't want to say Auburn should be top ten, top fifteen nationally because you look at the per- per- trajectory of this co- recruiting class, and Auburn's not even anywhere close to that right now. They're like seventieth. They're dead last in the SEC. It literally does not get worse than where we are right now. Slow down, cowboy. It is. It, 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 it's like right now. Blood pressure's rising. It is. It is the worst it has been. I think in my lifetime, like as far back as I can remember, since I was born. Recruiting has not been this bad up right now in this moment. So what I'm saying is, I think it will get to that point. It should get top twenty. It, like, and if it doesn't, then we should be hitting panic mode because if after one year you're not like at least a little bit under where this previous regime was in terms of recruiting, you've got issues. It's early. It'll get better. I'm just trying to gauge. It's still middle of the pack, eighth in the SEC. What that dartboard should be where you're throwing where you're throwing your dart is that where you would like Auburn to place right now because I I think most people would would say no that should not be the expectation but I, but granted maybe you're one or to Brian Harson it should be based off of the vestiges of the issues that were left by the Gus Malzahn regime especially at certain position groups I said that Auburn needed to hit in hour number one I said that Auburn needed to hit nine and three this year at least mm-hmm. to elevate recruiting to a point to where you'll get people's attention mm-hmm. on the recruiting trail to where people will look up and be like oh something's different in the auburn football program what's that number for you uh, as far as terms in terms of wins like how many wins right. 
Uh, I think regular yeah. season wins. Yeah, I think nine wins is is definitely a reasonable number to have. Um, I think does eight and four get people's attention? Is that different? I think it gets people's attention if they do something like beat LSU on the road, or if they if they beat Georgia, if they do one of those two things, I think it gets people's attention. But can't we both say that if Auburn does one of those things, they're probably still not going to lose four games in the regular season? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I think I think I, uh, for me, I don't necessarily think it's a it's an it's an um, an amount of wins. I think it's uh, uh, upsetting somebody that Auburn shouldn't. I think it's beating LSU, Georgia, or Alabama, one of those three teams. I think it's going to again get people's attention winning one of those three games. Because right now Auburn's battling a perception that was left by Gus Malzahn of that this program has been four losses every year. And some years, five losses. That, that's been the perception that Auburn is having to battle at the moment. And Brian Harson is selling something different, and you have to mm-hmm. legitimize that. And I think you have to legitimize that out the gates, or Auburn is going to have a tough year recruiting. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of momentum out there, but Auburn can definitely improve it. Guess what? We're 60 days away from college football, from Auburn football kicking off against Akron on September 4th. We are 60 days and about three hours, little under three hours, two hours and 52 minutes. That is how far away we are from Auburn kicking it off in September. Guess what? Auburn can change the perception about this program come September. They've got opportunities to do that. They could do it as soon as week three, going yep. into Penn State and winning in Happy Valley. Win it. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Whenever you, whenever uh, we we tweeted out that graphic earlier, it just blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, under two months, sixty days away from college football. It was two months as of Sunday. It just feels like just the other day we were talking about. All right, we got a hundred days till college football. Let's 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 stick this one out, and here we are, already almost halfway through that. So that brings us to our Auburn football schedule analysis series today. We're taking a look at the Ole Miss Rebels, or have we jumped too far ahead in time? Let's take. Is a look it Ole Miss today? If not, then we'll just we'll we, just roll with it. We did. We did Arkansas last last week, didn't we? Yes. I'm pretty sure we did. Yes, yeah, we so, did. so Ole Miss is next. Ole right. Miss is next. So let's take it away. Let's look at this high flying offense. The offensive mind that is Lane Kiffin probably not talked about enough. People talked about Steve Sarkeesian so much last year that maybe we've been maybe we've been fixated on on Steve Sarkeesian maybe a little bit too much, and we forget about the fact that Ole Miss is led by one of the best offensive minds in college football. Yeah, well, let's start with the quarterback position. And in terms of we're going to grade all these positions here, but in terms of quarterback play, I think you got to be able to give Matt Corral an A. I think he's better than better than average in college football, and I think he's among the elite in terms of what he's able to do in this Lane Kiffin scheme. I would really appreciate it, Noah, if you read for the audience the backup quarterback's name. I think it's just a fantastic name there, the backup quarterback to Matt Corral. Wait a minute. According to Athlon Sports... It's kink. It's Kinkeed Dent. That is a fantastic name. I just want to throw that. Kinkeed Dent. Absolutely love it. Or Kinkeed Dent, sophomore. I don't know necessarily how to pronounce that, but I think that is fantastic. That is a fantastic name. This quarterback room, I was considering it as a B, but after that name, I was like, no, this is is elite status right here. Oh, come on. Matt Corral definitely fits the bill as a top-tier quarterback in the Southeastern Conference. I think he does. If you're a top-tier quarterback... I have him ranked as number one in the SEC. I think he's the best quarterback in the Southeastern Conference coming back. Is he the best quarterback in the country? If not, who is? I think there are some really great names across college football at the moment, like Sam Howell, Keaton Slovis, that are potential number one overall draft picks in this year's NFL draft. But I definitely think after this year, 
especially considering I believe Matt Corral will trim his interception numbers. People look at the fact that he threw 14 picks last year, but I'm like, he threw six in one game. Outside of that, he threw eight interceptions across nine football games. That's pretty good numbers. He really relatively protected the football pretty well outside of that Arkansas game. And I don't know what happened in that Arkansas game for that guy, for it to behoove him to throw six interceptions. That's ridiculous. But outside of that one game, outside of that one football game, he was really pretty good at not turning the football over. If he trims that number in half and adds, let's say, and I think it's very fathomable for, for Matt Corral to do this in this offense, it's very possible for him to throw 36 touchdowns and only have seven picks. That's doable. Last year, he threw 29 TDs to 14 interceptions. Do you think that's doable? I think that's... In this offense? 36 touchdowns to seven. I think that's very fair to right. say. And so that Especially would put after you, another year. That would put you in the running to be considered for one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best yeah. quarterback in the entire country. Yeah, don't forget, Matt Corral also had over 500 yards on the ground last season. Like, not, not every quarterback in the country just is able to pick up 500 yards and be as elite as they are throwing the football. PFF loves it. Number one in the SEC is the rank that Pro Football Focus has them at in their preview magazine. They've got them at sixth nationally amongst quarterbacks. So if you're sixth nationally, you are in that top percentile of quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, he's going to be definitely be able to pilot this offense to another incredibly successful year. I have him as an A. At running back, I kind of waffled between B and A. I think it's, it's genuinely somewhere between... Uh, above average in college football and among uh, the elite obviously talking about pro football focus pro football focus is incredibly high on jerry and ely the returning leading rusher and then they've got some other interesting guys in their backfield obviously like i mentioned matt corral able to run with the football a little bit but he's not a running back snoop connor henry Parrish jr uh both able to put up solid numbers i think snoop connor and jerry and ely are going to be able to to have a lot of fun in this offense you look at their numbers uh from last season in total, this Ole Miss rushing offense, 210 total rushing yards per game. That was first in the SEC, but that was only 26 nationally. It tells you the state of the, the, the SEC right now offensively. I think that's really interesting to look at, but I think this team is going to be able to run the football as well as air it out, too. I, I'm really excited to see what Ely and Connor do. I'm interested to see if you have it in front of you, what pro football focus grades Snoop Connor, because I know Ely is incredibly high, but I'm curious to see what Connor's numbers are. Give me a few moments. I'll get there for you. But in terms of this running back room as a whole, you know, normally whenever we're doing some of these rankings, we look at just the starting running back and we don't necessarily consider what's going on behind those guys because obviously the focal point of the running back room is going to be that number one guy. Look at a room like Auburn's and Tank in Tank Bigsby. It's like outside of that, there's not really going to be another guy. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not discrediting Sean Shivers. I just don't think there's going to be another guy that's going to be to to get out there and be as explosive as Bigsby can be uh, consistently. I think that's incredibly fair to say, but you look at this running back room as a whole and you look at their numbers from last season, you look at what they're returning, they're returning their five returning rushers, and some people forget about John Rice Plumley, who has kind of been that hybrid receiver running back guy. I think he's definitely going to be able to still get some touches for Lane Kip- from Lane Kiffin as well. I really like this room. I'm excited to see what they do. They've got some really great pieces. What does Pro Football po- Focus have on Ely and Connor? Well, Jerry Neely's a 90 in rush grade, which is phenomenal. That is that is in that top-tier running back in college football. Snoop Connor, above average, 73.6. But if he's your backup, I was thinking this while you were while you were talking about the running back room. I was thinking I, I would give this group an A. Yeah. I think as far as depth is concerned and what Lane Kiffin has been able to do with this group from a scheme standpoint, I mean, last year they produced 210 
2.6 yards per game on the ground which was first in the sec 26 nationally between everybody that carries the football for Ole Miss these running backs I think do amount this group to an A I think it's interesting to note that uh Athlon Sports has Henry Parrish Jr. listed as the backup to Jerry and Ely which just goes to show how little research Athlon does whenever they're going to look at some of these because in their numbers you can look and see that Snoop Connor had eight rushing touchdowns last season and 421 yards compared to Henry Parrish's 263 and two touchdowns like how Snoop Connor is not going to be able to get some carries just is is crazy to me for Athlon to say yeah Henry Parrish Jr. is going to be be the guy I'm again really excited about this room overall let's go ahead and move on to receiver at receiver um, they, they obviously lost a really talented guy in Elijah Moore. If he was here this season, I'd probably grade this group as an A. Um, I think this group is, is safe to say that it's going to be a B, even though we don't have a, a ton of production returning uh, from this room. I think it's safe to say that it's a B because Lane Kiffin's always going to have his guys scoring a lot of points and, and yards. You're going to see those, and you're going to see these guys be efficient. We don't necessarily have those guys on paper. We don't have those veteran receivers uh, for for all miss this season, but I think they definitely have some pieces to work with. Obviously, starting with Dontario Drummond, who is going to be one of the focal points of this offense, and then another guy to look at is Braylon Sanders, who had 15 receptions for 376 yards last season, and that was 25 yards a catch with four touchdowns. I think Ole Miss definitely has these guys on roster. Again, we've not really get gotten to see them stand out and be those guys on campus and to be those guys on the field. But I think they have them here on roster, and they will show out with a guy like Matt Corral throwing them the football. So I got to grade this group somewhere between a B and an A. I think sitting at B with guys like Drummond, Jonathan Mingo, and then obviously Braylon Sanders, I think they're going to be able to score points, get some yards, catch some footballs. I I think Lane Kiffin will definitely set them up to do well. I think it's an above-average group in the SEC. I don't believe it's an elite group because Elijah Moore left the group and he headed on to greener pastures in the NFL. But one thing can be said about Ole Miss, we've seen on multiple occasions we talk about track record with schools like Alabama Ole Miss has a track record where they constantly reload at wide receiver and I trust Lane Kiffin from a schematic standpoint to be able to get the most out of his receiver room a guy that you failed to mention Jacor Peterson the Western Kentucky transfer to take Elijah Moore's spot at the slot position Jacor Peterson did a lot of his damage in short to intermediate routes which the Ole Miss offense is all about the downfield it's all about the bomb, right? Like this team is all about throwing it down the field 20 plus yards. But I do think that when you look at, and, I, and I've got PFF's route tree up here, their their heat map for, for wide receivers and their routes run, he did a lot of damage in the seam. He did a lot of damage around the hashes, and I think he could fit right in for this old Miss receiving core. Now, someone at five foot nine, 180 pounds, shifty slot receiver, is he going to be as good as Elijah Moore? No, this group is going to be maybe... I wouldn't go as far as to say deeper. That That's not the word I'm looking for. Maybe more, it's going to be more of a team effort Balance. at wide receiver. Yes, rather than having just a true number one stud that's going to be a first round or a second round draft pick. I don't know if we see a stud at the Ole Miss receiver room, but I do think that we see a balanced effort where there's not really a whole lot of drop off with whoever steps out of the field. All of them are capable of having a great day on on any ball game so I think that this is a good receiving course so so far what we've graded the Ole Miss offense is AAB where's the O-line at the O-line is is going to be interesting 
They returned four starters from last year's unit. They were 45th nationally in sacks allowed per game, from what I understand. I don't know if their pro football-focused pass-blocking grades were were up to standard. You may be able to find some numbers on that, but they were still helping this offense gain over 550 total yards per game last season, which was third nationally. Ole Miss actually was one of the most improved passing offenses in the country. The Rebels had one of the most uh, in, improved in terms of, of yards per attempt last season. They averaged 10.3 yards per pass attempt, which was fourth in FBS. The Rebels averaged 7.0 yards per pass attempt in 2019, which was 90th. So the 3.3 yard improvement per attempt tied uh, Western Michigan for best in the nation. Uh, all those numbers coming from Athlon Sports. So I think the offense obviously had a helping hand in that because if you're able to block for the, these downfield shots that Corral is taking, you have to be doing something right I don't again I don't know if their their pass blocking grades are up to snuff but uh, I think this unit they returned four starters you look at the numbers they were able to put up collectively as an offense I think this unit is a B or or a C at worst I think this unit you could definitely make an argument is a B trying to pull up those pro football focus numbers that you keep calling on let's see here so found Ole Miss now let's see if we can find their let's see if I can find their pass blocking grade here I mean they were they were pretty good, like you'd say, but I don't know if you'd say that they were a top unit in college football. Let's see what that grade was as I skim down here. Ole Miss sat at, it wasn't great. It was around a 60, it was 58.3. That's about average, but it was serviceable, I think is what you'd say about Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah. So you think that's fair for an offense that was as high-flying as Ole Miss's to say that this unit could could be a B this season, especially with four starters coming back? Well, what's concerning is, and I think I remember seeing this, this group improved a lot in the second half of the season. I know I saw that, but what I remember seeing now is that their offensive line coach left right after spring, like literally a couple days after spring. They had an LSU situation. What does that mean about this offensive line? I don't know. Why was there dissatisfaction there? Because I I remember seeing a lot of stuff that Cole Kubelik had been saying about this offensive line, about how this group improved a lot in the second half of the year. And if Cole Kubelik, the main guy out there, pretty much the only guy out there who sits there and evaluates offensive linemen, just watches football to watch offensive linemen. If if the main guy out there who grades O-linemen was saying that this group improved, I mean, they, they definitely finished last year in a good way. But you also look at the teams that they were playing at the end of the year. I've said this a lot. They played Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Mississippi State, LSU, and Indiana. None of those teams were good defensively, except for Indiana. That was it. So I think this group did fine against the bad teams, but against the good teams, they will consistently get beaten in the trenches. And I think that's something that you would agree with. Yeah, good teams I, yep. on their schedule will beat them, yep. but the average to bad teams, they'll be able to block. Yep, it's I very agree. similar to an Auburn offensive line. I agree with you. I would say this. I don't know. Uh, you may know more about the situation than I do, but it could potentially be him going to a better job. Uh, I think that could be the same situation for LSU, but again, I just don't I don't know enough about what was going on. But that, I think that is something interesting to look at to see if he was dissatisfied or maybe some of the players were dissatisfied with him. Uh, who knows? I'd li- I'd love to know more about the situation. I definitely could look into it, but you know, still the fact stands: if you're trying to replace your offensive line coach and you're trying to get these guys ready heading into the heading throughout the spring and heading into the fall. Uh, it, to do it in that short amount of time is it would be incredibly impressive to to get them to jump from a C to a B at least like in the world of college football. So I'm with you. I think they'll I think they'll play well against the teams they should and they won't against the teams that they that they shouldn't. When we come back, we'll tell you why this old Miss team may be a little bit different than some of those high flying offenses that had guys like Jordan Taamu and Shea Patterson. Does this old Miss team take a step forward? We talk about that when we come back. 
You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Lance, talking about the Ole Miss Rebels here. And, of course, the defense, I think you and I both can agree. You look at the numbers last year. They almost gave up as many points as they scored, and they scored a lot of points. They gave up a lot of points. 38.3 points allowed per game, ranked 14th in the SEC, 117th nationally. Is there anything that you can sell me on, rather than grading this group, because we're running out of time a little bit here, rather than grading this group, is there anything that you can sell me on here that it actually gets better? Honestly, other than the linebacking core, I don't know. They do bring back a lot of production from this linebacking core. Their their top returning tackler from last season comes back and Jaquez Jones and then they've got a an incredible name in this in this group. Uh Momo Sonogo uh is is just a fantastic linebacker name. Uh, number 46 for for Ole Miss he's a senior this season I actually listened to an interview recently with Saturday Down South that he did and he sounds like just an incredible he he his personality fits his name he is a fantastic guy I cannot wait to see him play for Ole Miss this season I'm excited to see what this linebacking group can do but you know outside of that they they're statistically last season were not incredibly uh, productive and they don't bring back a ton of that production three like you mentioned earlier 38.3 points per game 206 rushing yards per game 312 passing yards per game and collectively that's 519 total yards allowed per game they were literally either last or next to last in all of those major statistical categories in the sec last season and that's not good that's not good 26th nationally in yards allowed per game it's like four spots from worse a term in bowling green exists yeah, a term that i like to use is can't stop a nosebleed i know that's not my term i just like to use it this this group is is exactly that it is exactly that i think the linebacking core with all these guys returning they bring back those three starters and then they bring back somebody who athlon thinks is going to sit on the bench like i mentioned momo sonogo they believe he's going to be behind uh jacques jones uh at uh, at that linebacker spot but I'm excited to see what that unit does, but defensively, or defensive line rather, they don't bring back uh, any starters. Uh, They do bring back a buck, but he's more of a hybrid linebacker kind of guy. They bring back three starters in the secondary, but one of them is a projected bench player. Uh, I'm not incredibly excited as to what they could potentially do to improve in the secondary this season. Again, you don't just go from 312 yards per game to 280, which is still terrible overnight. Like You don't just make a significant jump like that overnight. I don't necessarily know if there's enough uh, here on paper for me to be able to make that claim and say that they do, but... You know, it's- What's interesting about this Ole Miss team compared to those Jordan Ta'amu or Shea Patterson teams... Those teams could score. We all knew they had good offenses, but when they came to play teams like Auburn, Alabama, and squads like that, they only scored like 24 points, right? When they played the good teams, they didn't score. What's interesting about this Ole Miss team is, though, they score the points against good teams, too. They still score 35 on Florida, still score 48 on Alabama, score 28 against Auburn. They still score against the good teams. This defense, still, it's amazing how they hold them back. I think this Ole Miss team is definitely a bowl team. I just don't know if they go out there and, and you know jump past Auburn or some of these other squads that national media are predicting this team to be a breakout squad and you know, get up to third in the West. I don't know if that happens because of this defense, but let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments.
Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Gaw on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. This was something that we had planned for Friday, but phone calls and text and just great discussion carried us away on Friday. Jacob and Hillman and I were holding down the the fort while you were at your Braves game, and I saved some good content for you, Lance, and I'm glad that we can have this discussion together. But first, follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook and keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the Drive with Bill Cameron analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. This content of which I speak, comparing college football coaches to Avengers characters. I have to say Avengers characters because not all of these individuals were a part of the actual Avengers. They were just like honorary members. So MCU, Marvel. Yes, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Correct. (laughs) Yeah, like, was Falcon even an Avenger? He is now. That is right. Yeah, Falcon wasn't a good one. Uh, let, let me see the back. Not like, Drax mind, wasn't, but I've got him listed on this right. on this sheet of paper because I, I had to find someone for a certain Mississippi State football coach. But let's keep going here. Let's start off at the top of the list. Mr. Avenger himself, Captain America. Do you have someone other than mine? Do you um, like mine? You know which one mine is. Yeah, I do like yours, but I, I've got a couple of other candidates in mind that 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 would not be better than yours, but I do think there are a couple other guys that fit the mold. I went with Dabo Sweeney, and, you know, I asked myself, Captain America, who is Mr. College Football, right? Like, who, who's the guy who's Mr. Traditional, conservative, guy that just loves college football and just, like, the essence of college football? And Dabo Sweeney came to mind, especially considering he was in the news a lot last week based on his NIL comments and whatnot. When I think of guy who's all about traditional college football, I think Dabo Sweeney. But also, in this grand picture, and what I have to make sure I baseline for everybody here before people get angry, because I know a lot of folks around here don't really like Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban is Thanos, right? So I had to choose like a main character in college football that would be in opposition to Thanos. And that's none other than Dabo Sweeney. And I don't think Dabo Sweeney fit any of the other main characters in Avengers like Iron Man, Hulk, or Thor. So I went Captain America because the the personality there a little bit, at least just some of the ideals seem to fit. If I was thinking of who would, what would a Captain America be like in college football? Yeah, um, I'm I'm not I'm not mad at Sweeney at all. I think another guy, and you and I were talking about this at lunch, and he doesn't necessarily have like the track record. Like he's not as like recognizable as as a guy like Sweeney. But I think whenever you look at personality and you look at physique, I think Brian Harson would be another guy that you could look at. Like I know he's he traditional. Does, I know he doesn't have the the track record that Sweeney does in terms of like being famous, but like he's he's pretty militant in the way that he goes about things, and he's he, yoked. He's definitely the the the, the most athletic uh, coach in the SEC right now. I would say that he's more athletic than than some of the other guys that are coaching in the Southeastern Conference. So I think he could definitely be another candidate there. But I do like Sweeney. I think he fits well. I've got another one for Brian Harson that I actually really like a lot. We'll get to that a little bit later. But Iron Man, would you go in a different direction than where I've got it? No, I think it's pretty accurate. Lane Kiffin is who I've got for Iron Man. Before Tony Stark, he got fat. Okay, you didn't have to go that far. But just saying. <laughs> Oof. Tony Stark and Lane Kiffin have very similar personalities. Both very kind of, they're, they're cracking jokes, sarcastic individuals. 
They both have fathers that worked in the same line of work and were respected. Monty Kiffin for Lane Kiffin, Tony Stark for whatever his father was named. Jacob, do you know you're more into that, isn't it? Isn't it also Tony Stark? No, it's Howard Stark. Howard. Okay, well, okay, well, you knew that then. <laughs> My bad, but I didn't ask you. I didn't know that. But So both had fathers that worked in the same line and were respected, but their fathers probably were not as good as their predecessors, right? And now you look at... Iron Man, much better than who came before him and Lane Kiffin, better than Monty Kiffin, I think we would all we would all assume. So one of college football's technical geniuses as well, respected for his X's and O's and what he's able to crack, likes to crack jokes. Lane Kiffin definitely fits as Iron Man for me. Yeah, I think it's pretty accurate. I, I like that comparison as well, and I don't mean to knock on uh, Kiffin. I would just say Kiffin prior to his, his tenure at Ole Miss, I would say, is he fits the Iron Man mold pretty well. Hulk. I went with Kirby Smart. Yeah, I like that. I like that. (laughs) This one I didn't like as much, but Dylan, who also runs the board for us every other day, when Jacob's not here, he sold me on it. He said Kirby Smart, and and I was trying to find the connection to Bruce Banner, which I don't see a whole lot of Bruce Banner and Kirby Smart, but I've got Kirby Smart as Hulk because you look at the rage that he can have at times on the sideline, and you think about this guy's temper tantrums, if it wasn't for him turning red, he might be turning green. So I, I think that fits in that sense. And if you're looking for the Bruce Banner comparison, he is one of the better defensive tacticians, if not the best defensive tactician in college football. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. I think another guy to go with is Matt Campbell after his absolute insane rage in the uh, Big 12 championship against like Oklahoma. He seems he's typically a pretty level dude, though. Right, that's how Bruce Banner <laughs> is, though. But you could see, oh, like, yeah, the, obviously there's... the angry side comes out whenever he's... he's, uh, he's uh, Obviously doesn't have an offsides penalty go his way. There's an angry green rage monster inside him that could come out. I could see yes. that. That's actually not that bad. That is not that bad. So yeah, Hulk, I went with Kirby Smart. Also, like we're, we're going through like main characters here. And if you're talking, once again, you have to go with somebody that can be in main opposition to Nick Saban, who we've got as Thanos. And that's Kirby Smart. But also you think about the latest Avengers movies, which if you haven't seen them by now, shame on you. I'm not worried about spoilers too much right here. But if you have seen the latest ones, Bruce Banner really can't do anything against Thanos because he can't go green, angry, rage monster. That's kind of Kirby Smart against Alabama. He hasn't been able to do anything. Well, Thanos did beat the heck out of That's right, and that does happen. So (laughs) doesn't want to come out to play. And it's kind of funny because actually at the beginning of Infinity War – Holt, you know, he's getting, he had him in the first half, and then Thanos just dominated him. It's kind of like that national championship when Georgia led 20 to 7. That's true. Wow, Jacob really took this one to the next level. That's why we have you here. Dang. Yeah, for what people don't know, other than NBA connoisseur, he's also a major MCU and Star Wars guy. So he's, we need to compare to Star Wars characters. Yes, we need to do. We thought about DC, but there's just not enough substance. We tried. Get better movies. We tried. (laughs) We tried. Uh, I think we should do Star Wars, and I think we should do something that you've done in the past, but I'd love to revisit it and give some takes on it. We uh, we should do cereal, cereal brands. brands again. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's that I think that's hilarious. That was really good. Yeah, this is truly the the dog days of summer. Only two more weeks, guys. Oh, uh, it's so. As of yesterday, it was two weeks until media day. That's good summer content. I don't know if our listeners would would appreciate uh, saying that Gus Malzahn's like a box of Honey Nut Cheerios, but I think that's funny. Oh, it's ideal. I mean, consistent 
consistent. It's it's going to be good, but it's not like the best cereal, right? It, and Gus Malzahn wasn't. I mean, he was he was going to get you eight and five, which is consistent every single year. You don't wake up though with a with a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios and think, man, this changed my this changed the scope of my day. I will say, but it was consistently good. I will say this though, Cheerios apparently are healthy for your heart. Watching Auburn football games with <laughs> Gus Malzahn is not healthy for your heart. Let me tell you, I've lost quite a few years off my life watching some football, uh, some true. some good old Auburn football. Let's look at Thor here. I went with Ryan Day at Ohio State. Now, follow me here because I know they're different. Ryan Day doesn't have long, flowing, golden locks, and there's not a whole lot of things that I would say that are that fit majestic when you co- compare Ryan Day to somebody in the Avengers universe. But I went with Ryan Day because you think Thor, son of Odin. I think Ryan Day, son of Urban Meyer, at least from an offensive and coaching standpoint, was there a protege under Urban Meyer like Thor's the son of Odin. He separated from this hotly contested portion of the country, which is the Southeast, where the majority of the nation's best programs are and are competing for recruits. Similar to how Thor is not on planet Earth. He's in wherever that place is. There you go. He's in that place. And he just kind of shows up when things are getting real, i.e., national championship or college football playoff but he didn't go for the head and he didn't take out Thanos when we needed him to most this past college football playoff national championship so there you got Thor for Ryan Day did you just compare Columbus Ohio to Asgard <laughs> yeah that's you know that was kind of where I lost you there because I don't think anyone would compare anywhere in Ohio to Asgard <laughs> and you know, you're right about that. Oh, now, the, it, now here's where the comparison might fall off. I had to go with also. another major team <laughs> I, so I and like coach it. in college football but like because it. Thor is one of the main Avengers. I think but. there's some good comparisons from to, from uh, Odin to Urban Meyer. Yeah, I do like that. I, I agree with that. But also, are you thinking that Ohio State's about to gain 200 pounds? And beer belly. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be that good this year compared to what they typically are. Well, then that's fair. Starting a true freshman quarterback, it's a massive change. There you go. That's fair. They have not thrown a pass in college football i think you could be looking at a 10 and 2 ohio state team which would be the you know, i've the heavier set version of thor i've been refraining from this take and i want to develop it a little bit but i'm i've been meaning to say i think ohio state will lose two or three games this season i don't think it gets to that extreme because they're still better than everybody else and they reminded us of that when they signed five-star defensive lineman jt to allow over the weekend but i think there is there i think there is a reasonable argument to be made to where you can you can see ohio state slipping up in a purdue style fashion and then losing to a couple of teams that are better than them with with they have quarterback issues, I think there's a they think they think there's a a route where you can have a well developed argument. If they're that argument. bad at quarterback, yeah. but I don't think C.J. Stroud will be that bad at quarterback. I think he's still going to be good. C.J. Stroud sounds like a guy that played pretty well in college, has an NFL body, and will get to the NFL and will be a backup quarterback. And anytime he comes into a game, everybody laughs at the fact that C.J. Stroud's at quarterback for the Texans or the Dolphins, and it's just like funny to look at. Who was the quarterback with him that said he didn't come to play? To, he didn't come to play school. That was Cardell Jones. That that's kind of Cardell Jones for me. <laughs> I mean, that you just described Cardell Jones because he. I mean, he's in the NFL still, right? But he's yeah. not playing. I was thinking more like I was thinking like Brock Osweiler or yeah. who else? Who else was I thinking about? Um, there were there were a couple of guys that I had specifically in mind. I'm completely blank, blanking on them right now. I think uh, Yates was another one that I thought was really funny. Um, gosh, it's, Matt Schaub. Yeah, Schaub is another really good one. Um, Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert is Never, another really Nathan funny one. Peter Goat. Nathan Peter Goat. Never good either. 
Uh, so, so I think those are just some some funny names. I think I think C.J. Stroud, uh, it, just name wise, is like right up there. Like I think I, I could definitely see him being a backup for an NFL team and, and coming in and just like throwing for forty six yards and a pick and late in a game. I think that's that's where his his uh, ceiling hits. Now that we've gotten away from some of the main characters and it kind of gets to outside of that main group of comic book Avengers, I, I'm fine with inserting Brian Harson in here now. And then we'll look at some of the other guys, because this character I definitely don't think is a main character by any means. But Ant-Man, I'm going to go with Brian Harson here. I've also got someone else for Ant-Man, but you and Zach really sold me on Brian Harson as Ant-Man on this one. But when he was at Boise State, at times Boise would be small, kind of out of out of the limelight. At other times, Boise State could be viewed as a better program. Similar to Ant-Man can be small or large. He was off by himself in Ohio, or not Ohio, Idaho, which is similar to how Ant-Man was really just an offshoot character in the Marvel Universe. He had a couple of movies, but they didn't really actually connect to the main storyline in any way. And if I didn't watch them, then they weren't relevant. Correct. Just like Boise State, it didn't matter. All of a sudden, yeah, it really didn't change your view of the, I didn't really watch Ant-Man, and then it didn't change how I saw Avengers at all, even though he played a major role in Endgame, which is where I come into it now with Ant-Man, all of a sudden in Endgame, he's brought into the picture as a main character who helps the Avengers think of a way to go back in time to find the Infinity Stones. He comes up with this idea of time travel because that's his that's his thing. He was stuck in the quantum realm because he became so small. And similarly, Brian Harson has been brought into Auburn to find a way to recapture the magic of the old days of Auburn football. I know I've Heard a few comparisons to that old school traditional vibe of Pat Dye and tried to recapture those ways. Currently, though, right now in this offseason, we're stuck in the quantum realm, waiting for him to be released for that to actually occur and to see if this actually will occur. Similar to the beginning of Endgame when Ant-Man was stuck for, what was it, like five years and just traveling through time. Yep. And so I think that's a good comparison. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate as well. Again, I think Brian Harson, you could make the argument for him as Captain America, but he does not have the track record that Dabo Swinney does to like officially say that. Now, if Harson had won a national title or if he wins one at Auburn, I think you could say that he's Captain America. But I, I do really like the Ant-Man comparison. I think you can, compa- you can compare Auburn, you know, the athletic program to the quantum realm just because of how chaotic it is and now harson's kind of the head man of it other than now in green so i think it's a good comparison as well also went pat fitzgerald here northwestern i think the program wise the program element of it when talking about ant-man at times northwestern is small and not doing things last year makes it to the big 10 championship and they got big right so yeah. at times northwestern is very much so that way and, and they kind of disappear for, for stints, right? right? Like the quantum realm, five years. So that was kind of where I went with Pat Fitzgerald. But I definitely see the comparison with Brian Harson maybe a little bit better than Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, Jacob, you said that other than Brian Harson, you would say that Alan Green's kind of the one that's leading that in the quantum realm. Could we could we uh, say <laughs> that the pool that they were hanging out with in is the quantum realm and that they two are just hanging out in it? Could we could we you make just, that you comparison? Say Hank Pym maybe is Alan Green. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, Brian Harson doesn't remember it. So uh, did did Ant Man not remember his time during the well, Quantum Realm? Or five minutes, like five hours. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It's literally he. I think I think uh, Green literally said it was like five years ago or something like and that. And when when they save Hank Pym's wife, uh, he said he th- there was something about it that he doesn't remember. So 
Yeah. Guys, the right. pool is the quantum realm. Right. <laughs> Brian Harson is Ant-Man. <laughs> Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll wrap up this conversation at the Tuesday edition of On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's take a listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey, everybody. It's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Happy Friday. It's crucial moments on new episodes of Gold Rush at 7 and Bering Sea Gold at 8 on Discovery. Some movie selections for tonight. The Shawshank Redemption is on Bravo at 6.30. The Matrix is on AMC at 5 and following it at 8. It's The Matrix Reloaded. The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Part 2 is on all evening from 5 to 10 on Freeform. A shape-shifting alien endangers Earth. Men in Black International is on FX at 7. Two movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, both on at 7 as well. Black Panther on TBS and Avengers Age of Ultron is on USA. In live sports, the Tampa Bay Lightning take a 2-0 lead into Game 3 against the Montreal Canadiens. Catch tonight's action at 7 on NBC. WWE with Friday Night Smackdown at 7 on Fox. In the soccer world, Copa America continues with Brazil and Chile clashing in the quarterfinals. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. That was What's On TV tonight. We're wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you comparing college football coaches to Avengers. Yes, it is summer, and it will be better in two weeks. Yeah, and uh, I will say, though, this is pretty solid content. I really want to do I want to do cereal brands so bad. I think that for some reason I get a really big kick out of that. I don't know why. <laughs> I think that's just really funny. I want to go with a different character just kind of pinballing around here. Vision, I went with Gus Malzahn. Now, follow me here, because if you're just looking at Vision as, like, his skill set, you're like, oh, no way Malzahn's as good as Vision was. But think about it. Vision didn't really do anything in the series except for an Age of Ultron, and that was the only movie where he was good. He was wounded for, like, three quarters of Infinity War, if not all of it, because it happened in the open sequence. Malzahn really was only great for one season, right? And then after that, it was just kind of like, meh. And so when I look at it, I was like, all right, super smart, maybe too smart for their own good, just like Vision was too special for his own good at the uh, end of the a, day. A little, a little weird, a little different, quirky. Yeah, both personalities bland, as bland as a sheet yeah, of paper. exactly. Also, you talk about who the main nemesis is here, Thanos. Nick Saban, we said, was Thanos. Then look at Gus Malzahn's end, who it came to, was Nick Saban. And look at Thanos' end and who it came to. Or not Thanos', Vision. Vision's end. It came to Thanos. And just when you thought that everything was all good in 2019, Nick Saban slash Thanos turns back time in 2020, and that was the end of Gus Malzahn in the SEC. I hate to say it, and I think there there are a few Auburn fans that would agree with me, but I think Auburn should have definitely looked into letting Gus go after 2016. I think after 16? After 16. I think after 2000. Went to the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, but uh, it, I mean, that was ugh. that year was weird in the SEC. Yeah, but. Could you really justify that after the injuries that happened at quarterback and the fact that they still, once again, agree with that? went to the Sugar Bowl and going into that Georgia game, if they had beaten Georgia, which once again hinged on the fact that Sean White had a broken arm, if he didn't have a broken arm and you win that Georgia game, which you would have because they still almost won the Georgia game with a broken arm. I don't think his broken arm was broken by then. <laughs> he broke it in the Sugar Bowl. Okay, whatever was going wrong with him yeah, he, he was, was injured. Hurt. He was injured, correct. If they beat Georgia, the, S- the the SEC championship spot out of the Western Division is on the line in the Alabama game. So I, th- I think that was a, a good year for Malzahn. 
that was yeah. a step forward from what was the year before it. I think what you you look at his his track record, right? 2013, really great year. Uh, next season, you bring back Nick Marshall, and then you've got guys like Cameron Artis Payne. You've got some really talented guys on roster, Sammy Coates and Duke Williams, and you go eight and five. And then 2015 is supposed to be the year, and you go seven and six. And then you try and recoup, and you have a a five foot two quarterback in Sean White, aka Stetson Bennett, before Stetson Bennett existed. And then you just you try. Sean White and, was more athletic than that. Sean White was a little bit more athletic, and I I think he was st- statistically a more efficient passer than Bo Nix, but that that's neither here nor, nor nor there but I think after 2016 I think if we're talking about being frustrated with the state of the program uh you know I think you could have made an argument that Gus Malzahn could have been let go because in 2017 obviously you make the SEC championship but 2018 was a subpar year 2019 was a was a eh year with with one of the best defenses in the entire country if not the best defense in the country uh, that defensive line was something special, man, and I think they were they were mismanaged and misused. And then 2020, obviously, eh. I, I think, think that may be a hindsight is 2020 situation, though. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Is like looking back, I think we could make the argument that he could have been like 0 and 16, and we could have hired a guy like Harson and been on a better trajectory. You might have. You're right. You might have diverted from all the stuff that happened after that, all the heartache that occurred in like 2018 and some of the contract. Stuff. Yeah. You might have. You're right. That's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.